Welcome to the Real-Time Recap, brought to you by the Unity Education Team. My name is Thomas Winkley, and I'll be your host. Each episode, we're going to be bringing you highlights talking about the news, community efforts, and future of technology to keep all of you tied into the future of Real-Time 3D. You can find a link to our Unity Facebook community and Discord in the show notes. Also, make sure you subscribe to this podcast to get the updates every time we release an episode. And if you have a colleague that you know would love to jump into the world of real-time 3D or is already there, send this their way. Behind every good educator is an instructional designer. Now, sometimes that educator is the instructional designer, and they're technically just standing behind themselves. We here at Unity believe that good learning outcomes lead to good education, and we back that up by providing instructional designers to build experiences for learn. These instructional designers put their time, thought, and energy towards making sure the learning outcomes are satisfied on our platform. We then take that and convert it into educational material for you to deliver in the classroom. I thought it would be a really, really good benefit to sit down with two incredibly talented instructional designers, Joy Horvath and Veronica Brown, to hear how they go about creating these experiences and what they think is the most important part of designing these experiences. So without further ado, we can jump right into it. All right, so we're here to talk about instructional design in the classroom. Uh, we've already had a cute little video or audio video video. Yeah, we've had a video recorded introduction by video. I mean audio only if there is video. It's just a still image uh, talking about what we're going to today. So I'm joined by Veronica and Joy from the instructional design team. What up friends? Hello. Hello. Um, I think it'd be kind of cool to start things off. Maybe give you a little bit of your backgrounds about yourself and Joy because people are probably more familiar with you because you've been on other episodes. I'm gonna start with Veronica. Ah, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. My name is Veronica Brown. I live and work in the Atlanta area. And my career started out as a technical writer for highly technical scientific kind of software. So just how to use certain software. So when I came to Unity as an instructional designer, the technology and science behind Unity was kind of the level that I was familiar with. But then I also, um, just in recent years, got a master's degree in instructional design. So I was able to apply the principles of instructional design to that kind of work. And I'm really enjoying it. I, and I'm enjoying the work you do because it helps well, me do you. my job. So thanks. Um, Joy, just in case it's someone's first episode, tell the people who you is. <laughs> Hello, I am Joy. I am a senior instructional designer on the Learn team, and I could do that introduction without thinking about it. Um, I have kind of split my time throughout my career between uh, game development and education. Uh, before I came to Unity, I was a lead game designer at a small mobile games company in the South Bay in California. Um, and then before that, I actually was a Unity instructor for just about five years. So um, my career has been entirely Unity education games in some variation. Um, and so, yeah, I, I came to Unity because that seemed like the only logical thing to do. Um, and actually, quite frankly, I never expected them to actually hire me. But here we are uh, six years later. So that's worked out. Uh, but yeah, day-to-day uh, -day is developing content for Learn, 
and uh, my background in teaching unity in the uh, classroom, particularly mostly college level, um, has really helped inform what I do here. Fair, fair. So, well, again, thank you both for being here, taking time. Um, we want to focus this episode on instructional design, which is why there are two very talented, very brilliant instructional designers sitting on this call with me. And I know like a lot of the approach of what I do and what our community looks towards is, you know, in the classroom and classroom implementation, et cetera, et cetera. But I thought it would be fun. And actually you both very heavily recommended that maybe we take it a level up and just talk about designing learning experiences around real-time 3D, right? Or around anything really. But I think, you know, hearing about the methodology and the concepts that you apply when you're building out these experiences for learn, uh, you know, which is then eventually converted for classroom implementation by Quintus and some of our other brilliant people, I would love to talk about that in the process. Yeah, absolutely. I guess. And one thing that's interesting about this topic is that when we got together as a team a few years ago and started the pathways system, we started developing processes right. for these learning experiences. And now we've developed that system out enough that we're starting to get subject matter experts from all over Unity to help us. So we've had to really codify, okay, what is it that we're doing? What does make a learning experience? Because a lot of these subject matter experts, they know how to write documentation, right. like the reference material, but they don't know how to write a learning experience that really guides a learner to go through new processes, learn new concepts, and have them stick. Right. And I think that's a really important differentiation. You know, a lot of us, you know, myself, I come from professional training, a lot of online learning platforms and ed tech. And, you know, a big thing you realize very quickly working in those types of fields, right, is that some of the best in the business at their job don't actually know how to teach. Um, you can be a brilliant programmer, fighting game player, streamer, data analyst, whatever, but you might not understand how to transfer that knowledge to another person who thinks and acts differently than you do, right? Um, so I exactly. think it, it lends itself to, to importance for this experience. Yeah, there was actually, weird tangent here, but there was a, a baseball announcer who uh, often said, you know, the the best pitching coaches are not the best pitchers because really good pitchers often come by it naturally and they don't know how to explain how they do what they do. But pitching coaches have really made a study of how good pitchers work. And so they can explain. Let's talk about like toolkits and processes and all the stuff you build. And we were before talking about this, you'd mentioned that you kind of have like a learning experience toolkit that you've put together that you rely on very heavily when building experiences. So let's jump into that and talk about it. Yeah. Um, Folks who are these subject matter experts who know what they know, but don't know how to teach it necessarily, we introduce them to the idea of coming up with what are the skills and the learning objectives that you're addressing with your learning experience? What do you want new learners to be able to do at the end of the experience that they can't do now? And when you start to think in those terms, of course, then you can start to think in terms of, all right, now how do I guide a new learner through this information? Whereas in documentation, you just 
throw it all out there in, you know, maybe some structure, but certainly not in terms of a learning experience. So we help these subject matter experts come up with the personas that they're developing for skills and learning objectives, sort of a, a job task analysis, if you will, that they want to address. And then what we do, which I think sets us apart a little bit more even, is we ask them to come up with some sort of unity project or activity. It's like, what can you build in unity and then help your learners build in unity and guide them through that's going to hit all these learning objectives so that not only are they hearing about these new concepts, but they're actually hands-on working in unity on something that's interesting to them that they can start to apply these new ideas to their own projects. And what Veronica is really hitting on here um, is, you know, a, a concept that I think a lot of educators will be passingly familiar with, but I feel like we utilize far more than the kind of average tutorial creating individual and that is backwards design um specifically project-based backwards design um so you know when you're building documentation or if you're not necessarily experienced with creating tutorials you might think oh i just need to go through all of these features like um somebody's natural inclination when creating a unity tutorial may be to select something in the hierarchy and then walk through what each individual thing mm-hmm. is in the inspector Um, You'll see that a lot in tutorials written by people who are kind of new to the whole process. And what we do on Learn is instead of thinking purely granular, purely just like this is a thing that exists, we instead think about what do we want our users to be able to do, build, and experience by the end of, you know, whatever they're working through. Um, And by approaching it that way, by thinking about the end in the beginning, it it becomes quite clear, you know, the sort of things that you need to develop for the learners. Right. Um, and as Veronica also mentioned very early on, we always make sure that we're building personas. So we know who our users are. We know what where we want them to be at the end of the experience. And then we just have to build out the bridge between who they are and who we want them to be. Right. I love that you brought up the, uh, we used to, my, at a previous job, we used to call that list teaching or top-down teaching. Um, mm-hmm. And we were, ew, it's, until it's been, I think until it's been pointed out to you too, like it's one of those things you maybe don't notice. It's similar to mm-hmm. being trained not to say um in public speaking. Until it's called out to you, you don't start to notice it. But you realize that it's a detrimental, it's it's a detriment to the edge, to, to those learning. Words are so hard. Because, um <laughs> the mind enters this kind of like, for me, like a fluid state of like, oh, we're going down a list. Let me just check out while I ride down this river of a list and I'll come out the other side with no information. Like it's weird how psychologically it does that to you. So I'm glad you called that out because that was actually the first thing that popped in my head when you were talking about what you want them to become. I'm like, oh, I bet this is about not teaching down a list. And then here we are. So, yeah. Well, and you know, I think what it ultimately comes down to is the idea that people who are just getting started in learning design have trouble differentiating between what is vital data and what is not. Because really what that perspective is, is them thinking like, oh, all of this information is really important. All of these parameters in the inspector are equally important. Therefore, I need to make sure that the learner knows them. 
And while those parameters are important and super valid for specific things, there are some learning experiences where you're never gonna touch you know, yep. the texture slot, for example. And so if you're never going to be dealing with textures, why waste time and brain power for your users to discuss what a texture is? Yeah, true. Like why waste that when you can focus on, you know, just the base of changing color or primitives or whatever the important thing is. Yeah, so. and that's, that's especially important in Unity because it can do so much and you can go down so many different paths and depending on what you do some of those paths are really great and some of them are rabbit holes yeah. that mm -hmm. aren't going to take you where you need to go right now for what you're trying to accomplish so i think that with unity in particular learning experiences that are targeted towards specific outcomes and workflows are are really important yeah i would agree too because then there's also like a sense of and correct me if you think I'm wrong here, but like a sense of accomplishment, right? Because you've built something, you've created something. Mm. And I think a lot of like, for me at least, a lot of reinforced learning is what do I get out of this? Like what what do I create or bring into the world? And now I've learned how to do this. And that's driven a lot of my learning of like, well, I want to know how to do this thing. And then all of a sudden I learned 10 other things that I didn't know I needed to learn because that's how I get to that end goal, right? Like learners don't sit yeah. down and go, I want to learn shader graph. They sit down and say, I want to learn how to make a cloaking effect like Halo. Yep. And then because of that, they learn shader graph. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I, th I think you'll find that um, the way that we approach, now that you've called out the ums, by the way, like obsessed sorry, with so filtering sorry. myself. So what sorry. have you done to me? <laughs> uh, hmm. <laughs> I think what you'll find in our learning experiences, you know, with our learning pathways is because we have developed our experiences in such a way, we're able to build out alternative practices for them. Right. We have bonus challenges, you know, easy, medium, hard often, where learners can take what they learned in the tutorial where they followed step-by-step, step, but they're able to apply it in a different way because the way that we approached the teaching was very modular. Yeah. So it's less about like, teaching to a recipe they're not building this one specific thing they're learning about how to create things within this space and they can take and apply that concept elsewhere and i think that's really important yeah. because otherwise all they've learned how to do is x right yep. and how many times right like, for example a pong game if you teach learners just how to make pong all they're going to be able to do is make pong and while pong is great they're probably going to want to be able to build other games. So it's far more important to teach the principles and the underlying aspects that go into developing Pong. So it's less about Pong itself. Pong is more of an accessory to the learning experience, right? They get right. Pong out of it, but they learn so much more than just Pong. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, that gets into something else that we've built into our, our toolkit, which is the, the idea of creative freedom. And I want to give credit to our colleague, Aaron Sharp, for articulating this and helping us really build it into our, our process. But what we want to do is we want to start easy, like, okay, you just turned this cube yellow. What color do you want to make the cube? Right. You come up with your own color. And then as we keep going, it's like, okay, we've applied a texture to this surface. 
go out on the internet and find your own texture and apply it to the surface. So things get a little more complicated and a little more complicated, a little more sophisticated so that the learner can start to imagine, ah, in my own project, I want to do this or that. So we want to build that creative freedom. And then there's the easy, medium, hard challenges that, that Joy mentioned, where at the end, it's like, okay, now you know how to, we've guided you through X, you want to do Y, go do yeah. Y. And here, here are some ideas on variations of what we've done together mm -hmm. that you could apply to your own projects. Totally. So we want to lead them down these paths so that they're not just following a bunch of instructions, but they're slowly thinking more and more open. What else can I do with the skills that I'm, I'm gaining? And we, we help the subject matter experts to embed that creative freedom process into the, the things that they help us create. Yeah. So I think we've talked about quite a bit on like the toolkit processes. You know, we've mentioned backwards design once or twice. Um, <clears throat> just for those that may, I mean, it's probably rare, but if someone's not familiar with backwards design principles, like what, what is backwards design? What are you doing when you design backwards? You spell everything in reverse. No, so backwards okay. design <laughs> is fortunately exactly what it sounds like. So you start at the end point. Um, rather than thinking about all of the different things that go into a learning experience, you, you kind of shove that to the side and first ask yourself, what do I want my learner to have done upon completing this learning experience? For Unity, that's often, oh, I want them to be able to make a simple small game or, oh, I want them to be able to light a scene or, oh, I want them to be able to program X functionality. And once you have that established, ideally with actually a working prototype, then you work backwards from there and think, okay, what does it take in order to be able to do this? So for example, let's say, um, let's do the lighting scene example. In order to have a fully lit scene in Unity, one, you need to have a scene. Yeah. Two, you have to have lights. Yep. Three, those lights have to be specifically configured. And if you want to get advanced, they also need to be baked, depending on your situation. Right. So those are four things that need to be built out in order to complete this task. So you would then work from there. It's like, okay, with um, baked lighting. Well, first we need to have the lighting. So let, let's go to the lighting. So how do we configure these lights? Okay, well, learners need to learn how to do that. And so you work back from that way. And you basically trace your way back to the start and because you know what the endpoint is and you know how you got to the endpoint by working backwards, then you could just run it forwards for the users and it's it it's theoretically should work just fine. Now, obviously you need to work through it front ways to make sure right. that everything flows correctly. But generally speaking, I find that to be, I mean, I'm biased, but I think it's the best approach to learning design because there's no mystery in it. And that's one thing that I experienced very early on in my, in my teaching career is when I was just handed a series of learning objectives for a class requirement that said, you need to hit these. And I was just teaching to those objectives. I didn't know where the class was gonna end up. I just you know, was basically creating kind of arbitrary learning experiences and it, it wasn't a coherent thought. And so when I discovered backwards design and realized, oh, if I go from the end point 
I'll always know that the direction that the the students are going is going to get them to some kind of successful experience because I've seen it. I started from that point. So knowing what the goal is, I think is is hugely helpful for an educator. It also allows you to, if you're going to have any sort of assessments in your learning experience, you mm -hmm. you write that first. You figure, okay, what what do I want? What sort of unity? scene or project do do they need to be able to create by the end of this and so what is this what are the requirements for that submission at the end of my learning experience or what are the questions on a quiz and then you you basically you make up this assessment and then teach to the assessment mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. begin and with the end in mind one other term that was brought up during this discussion as well, um, you talked about job task analysis. Um, what is what's what what's a GTA? What 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 be that? Can I answer this because I can use my my recent uh, Master's of Instructional Design Education. This is a yeah. classic thing that is probably in every ID one hundred and one course, and that is how do you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? And you break that down into the individual tasks. You open up the bag of bread. You put the bread out on a plate. You open up a jar of peanut butter. You use a knife to spread the peanut butter on one slice of bread and on and on like that. So that's one simple example where you take a process or what we think of in terms of unity as a skill, something that takes some iteration and create and critical thinking, and you break it down into the tasks Got you. that you need to know or do in order to reach that skill. Fair, okay. And a lot of the educators listening are probably like, duh, Tom. But just in case somebody <laughs> doesn't know, right, I wanna make sure we yep. line item this and explain it. Um, also now I kinda want a peanut butter sandwich, so thanks. For <laughs> thanks for you know, that. It, it's so funny that that's the example for job task analysis analyses, uh, because that's also a very common approach to teaching uh, good programming principles as well. Um, you know, that's one of the first things a lot of programming teachers do with their students. And I'm sure listeners have probably done this, depending on what they teach, you know, just to get um, students in the correct mindset for what it means to communicate with a computer through code. Yeah, because a lot of students will be just like, take the bread out of the bag. And then the teacher will have like, the, a lot of times this is physical. So the teacher will like rip the bag open to get the bread because they didn't specify to open it in a, you know, a special way. And, you know, I just really love that. Um, but as far as uh, JTAs go, job task analysis go, uh, it's really vital for a lot of aspects of what we do at Unity. Obviously, it's very closely tied to our certifications. Um, we do JTAs before building each certification. That's where our blueprints come from, from which our questions come from, pretty standard certification process. But really sitting down and understanding what these roles do in day-to-day -day is also kind of a key to how we build regular learning experiences for the Learn platform. Yeah. And you know it ties into some other efforts that we're doing internally as well. So 
I mean, at the end of the day, it makes the most sense, right? We want our learners to be in specific jobs. So we know we need to know what these specific jobs do. So we teach them properly. Definitely agree. Um, all right. So we've talked about outcomes. We've talked about GTAs. That really kind of answers the question of how do we map outcomes? You do a job task analysis and that tells you what you need to do. And then you do the thing. Talked a lot about our toolkit and our principles and how we like creative freedom. So I guess we get to come to the part I didn't warn you about, the fun questions. So the first question is probably pretty easy to answer. And then the second question is going to be a fun one. So the first question is, I'm an educator. I walk into the classroom and I'm going to teach Unity for the first time. And I've already asked you this question before, but I'm asking you again because I want to reinforce it. What do you do? Where do you start? What are your tips? You walk over to your computer mm -hmm. and you type in learn.unity.com into your browser and you go to the educator resources and then you thank us later. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think is the uh, the specific answer that we're supposed to. That's our that's our that response. That is the branding approved answer. Thank you. Yes. Um, <laughs> any uh, but what else? What other like I guess um, tips then? How about tips? Are there tips for those educators or advice for those educators? Double click. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> first you open the bread. Uh, yeah. First you open the bread by taking off the bread tie. But in all seriousness, for me, I think the most important thing that an educator can do is establish very early on um, with their class that learning unity is a process and there is no such thing as somebody who knows all of unity. So it's, it takes a little bit of adjustment depending on how you manage your classrooms elsewhere. Um, the perspective tends to be, you know, teachers are the be all end all. They have all the information, they know everything. And if they don't know something suddenly, you know, they're no longer valid. That doesn't work for unity because nobody on this planet knows every aspect of unity. Um, and now I feel like, oh, should I qualify the founders? But the thing is, is that Unity has grown so much larger than what they originally created that I'm sure like literally nobody knows everything. But to establish in your classroom, hey, as your instructor, I'm still like learning Unity as well. There are aspects of Unity that I don't know. Totally. And this is an opportunity for us to learn and grow together. And a great thing about that is that you could frame that as a reflection of reality. Because in studios, it's much the same. There are people who are more senior, but senior people are also not going to know everything about Unity. Junior people aren't going to know everything about Unity. Nobody's going to know everything about Unity. And it's an opportunity to change that mindset and also encourage research and teaching each other. So it's more of a communal learning experience rather than the traditional teachers at the head of the ship learning experience. So that's my tip. And you know, having been in the classroom and practice this myself, I think it's really successful. And my fear going in when I first introduced this was that I wasn't going to be taken seriously and that students weren't going to respect me because I didn't know everything. But they got it just immediately, just being very open and saying, hey, we're going to work together to build this cool thing. I'm not going to know everything and you're probably going to teach me something and I'm going to teach you stuff. And it was just great because it it really made students think that they were contributing to something real because it wasn't just like, ha ha, I know more than you. It's, hey, I taught you something. That's really cool. And I think I think with something as expansive as Unity, probably one of the more important things you can teach students is 
how to find answers to their own questions. Like, sure, you can have a lesson on animation, but maybe you've got one student who wants to create a humanoid figure that drops like a rag doll and there's a very specific way to do that. That might not be something that appeals to everybody in the classroom, but you can help that student to find the information that's out there, whether it's in the Unity resources or not, it's definitely out there. And with so many things nowadays, the, the best thing you can do is teach students how to learn. Yep. And hopefully that takes a lot of pressure off the teachers as well. Yeah, I, I would hope so as well. Now for the fun question. Ooh. What is your favorite course on learn or favorite thing you've taught? I already kind of know what Joy's answer is, I think. But just in case, do you have a favorite? Uh, now I'm really curious about what you think it is. Let's do it that way. What, do you, what What is your guess? I think it's John Lemon's Haunted Jump. Oh, man. So that wasn't my answer, but I do love John Lemon. So um, John Lemon is my favorite. He is adorable. The entire, anything with ghosts in it. Are you kidding me? A haunted house on Learn? Like, <laughs> you cannot actually, you can't beat that. If I had my druthers, I would create like a Learn experience that was all about just like spooky stuff. Like cute, spooky, it doesn't matter. It's just the Halloween learning path. That would be my ideal. But as far as like my favorite, um, my favorite thing on Learn is always the thing that just last published because that's the thing that I have the most like emotion tied into. So right now that's the AR pathway. Uh, just because that was uh, it's our newest pathway. It was 14 months in production. A uh, lot of blood, sweat, and tears across many people on our team went into that. But I also feel like it's an extremely strong learning experience. And it was our first like real brush into a non-standard persona because the AR pathway was really developed for non-Unity users to come to Unity. And that was a very big risk, I think. You know, when you think about it, like, oh, you know, it's a Unity Learn pathway. It should be for Unity learners. And what we were doing is we were inviting, inviting non-Unity learners to become Unity learners. And I don't know, I think I think we did an okay job. I agree. Um, mm -hmm. And related, uh, just as a kind of a, a side thing, favorite course that I ever taught was actually for non-Unity people. When I was um, teaching Unity in, in school, in college, uh, there was a class that I was asked to teach from the animation program. And it was kind of a, a bonus course for animators who maybe would be interested in becoming animators for the game industry. And so I had students coming in that had only used Maya, that didn't understand game engines that weren't really into games at all but they needed to like you know fulfill this credit and they all came in extremely resistant but they left really liking unity and considering the idea of becoming a game animator and i just love basically spreading the good word about unity to people who would otherwise be resistant uh because ultimately what was successful with them because they were maya users they already knew how to navigate in Unity because Maya and Unity are the same navigation. So as soon as I started pulling threads at like, hey, you already know how to do this. It's the same. They started warming up to it. And then once they were like, oh, I'm a little bit comfortable, they started being more open to learning more about Unity and 
they created a lot of really fun things so nice how about you veronica favorite course on learn or thing you taught so i am i am actually not a classroom instructor i am just a writer of instruction my favorite that i've worked on is clive the cat's visual crypting i love clive Mm -hmm. uh First of all, a shout out to our very talented content development team that creates the beautiful scenes and characters that we put into these games. They they developed this, it's a Japanese style, Sokoban style game, yep. but they were so talented in weaving in a lot of little challenges that were fun to program with visual scripting. So you follow the cat around the maze. The cat has to get a key to open one gate or step on a tile to open another gate to get through the maze and then do something funky with trap doors to finally get to the the food dish at the end. And it's not so much that you're solving the maze, but you're creating visual scripts to make the maze solvable, which I think is a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, because I don't have a Unity, I didn't have a Unity background before I started this job. Every learning experience for me for that I create is a learning experience for me. So I learned so much about what Unity could do, about the Unity API, about how programming works with Unity and the the 3D worlds that you create and how you manipulate them with scripts. It was just a really fun project. I'm really proud of the way it turned out. Awesome. Well, again, thank you both so much for taking the time. I realize you're busy making amazing learning experiences for people. So even having half an hour of your time is really, really valuable. And I hope the educators listening, I hope you got something out of this. If you're new to education or you've been educating forever, I hope you found a cool thing or learned a cool thing. Um, We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. I think we're going to talk about some bunch of social impact stuff. Um, Maybe even some inside stuff from the Games for Change Festival. We'll see. But uh Thank you all very much, and uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. So, uh, bye. 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 Thank you for tuning in to the Real Time Recap, the Unity Education Team's podcast about what's going on in industry and your link to finding more resources to teaching the world of real time 3D. If you have questions, comments, concerns, want to discuss the topic, send an email to rtrecap at unity3d.com. Make sure to review and subscribe, and we'll see you next time.